This episode of Contracting Conversations is brought to you by BSCAI's Contractor Connections Content Hub. Browse recent articles providing insights on industry trends, profiles on influential speakers and industry leaders, tips to help your business succeed, and more. Visit bscai.org slash contractor connections. Welcome to Contracting Conversations, a podcast series from the Building Service Contractors Association International. Through a series of interviews with entrepreneurs, business owners, and executives, this podcast aims to provide insights, trends, and tactics to support the growth and development of business owners serving the contract cleaning and facility maintenance industry. Welcome to Contracting Conversations, the official podcast of BSCAI. I'm your host, Lauren Leocoris. On this episode, I speak with Brett Gilliland, founder and CEO of Elite Entrepreneurs, about how he came to be inspired to launch his company and what makes a great CEO. Support for Contracting Conversations comes from our premier partners, 3M, Diversity, Georgia Pacific, HD Supply, Karcher, and Team Software. Learn more about our partners and their category-leading solutions for contractors at bscai.org slash partners. So Brett, thank you so much for being part of the Contracting Conversations podcast. We're so excited to have you on, excited for this discussion. How are you today? I'm great. And I love being part of this podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, something you and I didn't talk about before is that I grew up in a home where my dad was a general contractor and I was a, a laborer on the job as a teenager and had been around contracting a bit. So I uh, love, love being with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Excellent. So Brett, um, my first question for you is really what inspired you to launch Elite Entrepreneurs? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, we were in a, a company that was growing fast. And as part of that growth, we took dozens of team members from seven figures to a hundred million actually is what we did. And we had hundreds of people by that point, but during that growth, we were serving small businesses and they saw how well we were growing. They saw, they, they liked our services that we were providing to those small businesses, but they saw how well we were building the company. They loved interacting with our team members. They kept saying things like, everybody's amazing. How did you find all these people and what are you doing? And so they, they started to ask us to teach them how we were doing the company building work that we were doing. And so uh, back in December of 2011, we put together a little two and a half day boot camp, and we sort of opened up the playbook that we had put together for how to build a business. And it was well received. And then we did it again. And pretty soon we had built this whole separate training and coaching business inside of that other company. So that's how my business got its start. Five years ago, uh, I bought that business and we spun it out or part of that other company. Uh, but that's how it got its start was our, our success in scaling a business was noticed by our customers and they said, Hey, teach us that stuff. Yeah. It's a great place to start. Um, so, Brett, what would you say are some common challenges that you observe among those who are really trying to reach that next threshold of business growth? Uh, I love that question, Lauren, because it, there's this very predictable 
pattern. Before I answer that completely, I want to talk about this predictable pattern that happens on uh, often the ones and threes of revenue. So as you go from 100,000 to 300,000, from 300,000 to a million, one to three million, three to 10 million, and the pattern continues as we experienced. Every time you triple in business, there's a new thing going on and you have to figure out how to shift. It's almost like riding a multi-speed uh, bicycle and you're in a gear and you're pedaling and you want to go, you want to go further or faster. And so you start cranking harder with your legs and you realize that more effort is not translating to more results. And if you hit one of those little plateaus in the, in the growth of your business, you can, you can give as much effort as you'd like and you just aren't seeing the impact that you think you'd ought to see. And, and so you have to do this shift. And just like on that bicycle, if you shift to a more appropriate gear, now the energy that you're putting into the pedals translates into a better outcome. And there are things that you can know and do to go to that next stage of growth. So I can't answer it blanket for every listener in every situation with one answer, but here's what I can say. At their specific stage of growth, there are very known challenges to go to the next level. There's a proven path for how to do it. And for those who are in that one to three million and three to 10 million, that seven figure scaling journey, that's all we do at Elite Entrepreneurs is help with that specifically. So uh, not trying to plug that right now, but I'm just saying there, there is a proven path and, and very known obstacles at each one of those stages. So the trick is, to figure out what are those things and, and how do we move forward. So if you want to focus on one of those stages, I'd be happy to speak to that. Yeah. Why don't we focus on one? Okay. So let's talk about that one to three million journey. Um, and I realize in contracting, it's a little bit different because the price tags are higher, right? If I were talking to people who, who were selling a hundred dollar product, a million in revenue represents a lot more volume than in a contractor's world. So let's talk about it in terms of people. If you, if you have six, eight, 10 people working for you, now the business owner, the entrepreneur, the, 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 yeah, the business owner can't do everything him or herself. Like you got to start figuring out how to delegate to other people. And that one of the biggest challenges from going um, from one to 3 million is figuring out how to organize work co-create a future with the team, with the team, not at the team or to the team, and then uh, really empowering them, relinquishing control so that they can take it forward and you as a business owner can start working on higher level things. So that's one of the biggest challenges from one to three million is learning how to go from that entrepreneur, business owner who's involved in everything to now being able to organize work in a clear way that I can relinquish control to others and have them do those things so I can work on growing the business. I really like that analogy you used, you know, like when you're pedaling a bike, right? The expenditure of energy. And I feel like that's why so many business owners that are in that one to three year pocket burn out so quickly because they, they are so focused on scaling. Right. But again, it's like, full speed ahead without really taking the time to understand, oh, am I spending the energy on the right things? Is it the right amount of energy on the right things? You know, what parts need to grow first before we can really see that jump in revenue? That's right. And and they, and most of us, I don't need to say they, most of us as business owners think about growth as sales, right? Like I need, I need another job or I need more clients or customers. And so we focus a lot on the 
on the revenue acquisition part of the equation. And we're not, we're not paying enough attention on the infrastructure or the people and process part of the business that would enable us to keep growing. And so we're sort of artificially constraining our, our business to what we ourselves can keep our arms around. And so we're, we're trying to hustle, right? We're trying to out hustle it and, and we're gritty and we're tenacious and we're burning ourselves out and not quite getting there because we're doing it. We're going about it the wrong way. Absolutely. So can you speak a little bit to the characteristics that distinguish a good CEO from a great CEO? Yeah, a good CEO does recognize that they can't do it alone. A great CEO figures out how to enroll a team in a process of co-creating a future together, where the team members now have just as much emotional investment in that stated future and in getting there as the owner does. So a good CEO is like, I got it. I got to use a team. I got to use others, but they're still sort of using others to get to their outcome. And a great CEO learns how to pull together a team, fully enroll them and co-create a future together that they're all excited about. So, so it's, it's just a different game when you, when you figure out how to, it's just a little bit of a cheat code. It's like, it's like a little unlock, um, I have several teenagers right now. And so we, we talk in the language of video games and cheat codes and stuff like that. But there's a little trick that, that isn't manipulative. It's genuine. You care enough about people to bring them into the creation process. And together, of course, we can do way more than if it's just like my vision and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use all these people to get to my thing. Yeah. I feel like it translates a lot to sports too. Like how do you separate a good coach from a great coach? It's you mm -hmm. have the entire team, everyone really buys into the culture and the mission and they are behind you 100%. There's no question of, oh, well, you're trying to hit a certain revenue mark, but how does that benefit me in the long run? So I feel like if you do the work at the grassroots level and get everyone on the same page, then it's still difficult, but it comes that it becomes that much easier to hit those well margins. Yeah, well said. It's it's no less challenging to scale Everest just because you enrolled everybody, but the work, the the nature of the work and the likelihood of success improves when when everybody's part of that. And the belief is high, and the camaraderie is there, and and you know a a good CEO hires good talented people, but a great CEO gets really clear about the purpose and the values that we share here. And now there's a sense of belonging and we hire lead and fire to that sense of belonging. And so you talk about the, the culture, um, great CEOs know that culture is game changing. And that's hard for us as business owners. Sometimes we don't see it mathematically. We go, I wanna invest, you know, I wanna make an investment and see the ROI. And, and culture is one of the squishiest things for us to see an ROI on. But when you start to realize how much easier it is to attract talent, how much easier it is to keep great people when we've made the investment to really bring the team together around a cause or a purpose and, and around a set of values, a way of being that we're all going to behave a certain way with one another, with our customers, with our partners. Uh, when you get all of that dialed in, everything runs more smoothly. Uh, there's not a lot of, you know, trying to pull the anchor. If you're a ship trying to move fast and you got even one anchor that's dragging, one person that's just not quite on board, that's so much less efficient and so much less enjoyable, frankly, 
than if that thing is just sailing. And and when you get it all dialed in right, a great CEO knows that the 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 fruit that is yielded is worth the worth the investment. I feel like we're just coming up with all the awesome analogies today yeah, in our that's conversation. Right. That's great. It's the, it's the analogy hour right it now. It is. It is. BSCAI's Executive Leadership Academy. This 10-week fully virtual program is based on an MBA curriculum and blends self-paced online learning with live expert-led facilitations. This program is designed to help contractors provide executive training on topics including people management, organizational leadership, business finance, and more. Visit bscai.org slash executive leadership to learn more. So Brett, are there specific CEO functions that some leaders may not fully embrace or may not even be un- like aware of when they're kind of going through their day-to-day? Yeah, got another great question. You're just hitting me with them, Lauren. Um, because of the, the stages of growth that I talked about before, in the lower stages or the early stages, not lower, like less than, but the earlier stages of business growth, we have to figure out marketing. We got to figure out, figure out product market fit. So the thing that we're wanting to sell has to be well-received and it has to be bought by somebody. And so we're doing all this marketing and sales and operations work. And then we get to a point where now I've got, again, six, eight, 10 people. We're in that seven figure revenue range. And our job as a leader isn't about all those functions that we mastered to get there. Like we're no longer the best superintendent or the best foreman or the best whatever, wherever we came from. Now we've got to move to that role of CEO or business builder and the specific hats that I want them to wear. This, this, is, this is true for every seven-figure business owner who has a team and needs a team to be able to grow where they want to go. They need to set a vision. We've talked about that a little bit. But with the team, figure out what's the purpose, what are the values, what's the mission that we're up to right now. They need to build the team that's going to help them get there. That's the second hat they would wear. And the third hat is that they have to get the resources. How do we secure fuel for growth? If we run out of money, everybody knows that's a problem, right? So a lot of us think about that as don't run out of cash. But the the right framing for that is how do I secure fuel for resources? How do I, or excuse me, secure fuel for growth? How do I make sure we have the resources we need to go achieve what we set out to achieve? So we got to get clear about where we're going, make sure the right people are part of that, and make sure we have the resources. Those are the three hats for a seven-figure CEO. Uh, and we got to figure out how to get rid of all the rest of them that we, we may have fallen in love with, we may really enjoyed, found a lot of satisfaction and personal fulfillment from growing to this point. But we those are the ones we got to get out of the way and, and give to somebody else. And we got to keep pushing on in our business growth. This is kind of a follow-up question. Um, so would you say that to your point, you know, we know that people in the in the position of CEO for the most part, right, they've they've mastered their trade, if you will. So they really That's understand right. the industry, you know, they climbed the ladder and now they are where they are. So would you say, like, just in terms of personal growth for themselves, you know, should they you know, pursue additional degrees in leadership specifically, or should they just keep it in their mind's eye that it's important to kind of refine those skills year over year to make sure that they're still in tune with those specific functions that you talked about? Yeah, uh, this is a little tricky because uh, the organization development person in me, the leadership development person in me would say, 
the best leaders figure out how to move past that kind of prior expertise that they knew. But having said that, I, I know of countless situations where their ability to lead at the at the helm of the ship is is way better because they have all that experience and all that knowledge. Right. So sometimes it can get in the way if they get stuck in like that's where I'm comfortable and they start going back to those things instead of moving forward in their leadership. But all of that amazing mastery of their trade serves them well as a leader if they can use it as helpful context for coaching and leading their people versus, you know, getting stuck back into the to the weeds of that work. Absolutely. So, Brett, you talked about this a little bit. But how would you say CEOs can improve productivity, not only within themselves, but also among their employees? So one of my one of my very favorite things to talk about is the word accountability. And you you've teed this up as productivity, which I love. Uh, but a lot of business owners say things like, why won't my people be more accountable? Or why won't they take more accountability? Or how come I, I, I stink at holding people accountable? And they sort of bash themselves around that. And all of that gets to this idea of productivity. Like I want more productivity out of the machine and they start pinning it on accountability. They're saying, we're not holding ourselves accountable. I'm not doing a job of holding others accountable. And so they, they mistake the performance problem with accountability. Now, I'm not gonna say that accountability is unimportant, but I am gonna say it's the wrong place to start. So I, I hope at least one person is listening still because I want to give this nugget. Accountability can't be first. Clear ownership comes first. So clear ownership precedes accountability. If you want better performance, what you need to do is get super clear about what's expected, how it will be measured, how it aligns to company goals or objectives for every role in the business. So if you've got a superintendent, how is that person going to be measured? What are their, we call it their big three. There are three measurable outcomes or activities. It could be either, either one or a, mi a mixture, but the three main things that that role is responsible for day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. And all that matters is that the leader and that team member whatever that role is, sees completely eye to eye on what is expected, how will it be measured, and how does it align to where we're trying to go. With that kind of clarity, then we can have really great accountability conversations because the person signed up for a very clear set of expectations. You hired that person into the role with those expectations to begin with. And the expectations are the judge. You don't have to be this subjective judge pounding a gavel saying, I don't like, you know, I don't like the outcome. Uh, together, you're going to look at the results, at the activities and say, is it happening or not? Where do you need some support? So you get to be more in a coaching position with your people instead of like, you know, this week, do I like what they're doing or not? So anyway, clarity is where it starts. Then we can get into real accountability. And, and you'll see when people are excited about a shared, a shared objective and they're clear about how they contribute, the performance lifts. That's great. And this is actually a perfect transition into my next question, which also has to deal with measurement. So what are some examples of realistic and measurable goals relative to business growth that our listeners can apply to their own business? Okay, so to business growth, um, this is gonna be a little bit of an, it's, it depends 
sort of a, an answer, but I've been referencing this shared destination or shared objective. We call it a mission. So for us, a mission is not a generic, we're out to you know build so many homes um, over the next five years. It's like a very specific thing. Here's the Here's the thing, actually, I, I like we're going to build so many homes in the next five years. What I don't like is we're going to be, you know, the number one provider of quality homes in the greater Phoenix area. Very kind of blah. Um, I like a more specific targeted thing. And if that means we, yeah, it's OK to say we want to be the number one home builder in this area. But I don't want to leave it generic. I want to say how we know that is we'll have this many homes built by 2029 and you know maybe with this, this kind of customer satisfaction rating and this kind of safety uh, performance so the, there are all these mission goals that accompany the thing and so once we're clear together on what we're doing then the, the goals the measurable things that I want to be tracking are going to be right in line with those mission goals so we're sort of back to the clarity answer we've got to start with a clear destination, what we want to do by when, and then we're going to align all of our goals and, and what we measure on an ongoing basis based on, on that objective. Absolutely. And Brett, my last question for you is, what are some immediate actions CEOs can take as they reposition themselves to scale their business? Immediate action. I would find a way as quickly as I could to start carving out time in my day, in my week, for working on the business instead of just in it. We haven't really used that terminology during our interview today, but that's a common way of framing it, right? You're spending enough time working on the business versus being stuck in the business. And so most business owners, they, they hear that and they go, that makes sense. But then their reality, their day-to-day -day calendar does not reflect anything like that, right? So what we have to do is start carving out time and, and that looks like, let, let me get really practical. That looks like stop doing some things. Like just, if you have a recurring meeting, start asking yourself, is that meeting allowing me to be the leader I need to be? Because I know, I know I need to be the one setting and championing the vision. I need to be the one building this amazing team that's going to make that happen. I need to be the one to make sure we've got the resources to succeed. Like those are my primary hats. And so I got to start shedding all the other hats and sometimes that means just eliminating stuff that we used to do. Sometimes it means I can't eliminate it, but I can give it to somebody else to lead. And sometimes it means I need to hire somebody else to help me with that. And uh, again, I try to be practical. So at the risk of going on and on here, Lauren, let me do one more quick thing. Last year, uh, in fact, I will never forget the day. May 16th is when I hired an assistant. Now, we had been doing this business separate from the mothership, right? Like we spun this out, I bought it over five years ago now. But for that entire time, I didn't have an assistant until May 16th of last year. And when I hired that assistant, that assistant, I started giving things that had been on my plate, fully on my shoulders. I started giving those to my assistant. And it, and it wasn't until I had started to shed some of that work that I realized how much I had been carrying. Like we kind of know, like, oh, I'm doing a lot. Oh, I'm doing a lot. And we sort of grin and bear it. And then we just keep going. And it wasn't until some of it started coming off that I realized how much I had on me. Now, I'm not saying everybody listening to this needs to run out and hire an assistant. But that might be one of the most practical next step things for you to do 
to free up some of your time to focus on business building activities instead of just maintaining what you've already built. I think that's a super difficult skill to master is that delegation piece, because especially if it's your business, you're running the show, you want to just hold on to everything, right? But, you know, having that wherewithal to delegate and to move tasks to other folks, it really frees you up for a different level of thinking. And I think that makes all the difference in the end. You're spot on, Lauren. And it, it really is the only way to grow beyond what you're doing today. Other than sleep less, right? Run faster. Like you can do some life hacks to eke a little bit more of time out of your day and more production. But at some point, the machine you've built is capped at what, you, what you're able to keep your arms around until or unless you offload that to somebody else. And everybody gets that mentally, but until you start to release some of it to other people, you don't really sense how much the current thing it has you occupied. And, and it makes perfect sense. Like we have what we have today because we're doing what we're doing today. If we want something more, we got to do something different, not just do more. We can't do more. We're already tapped out. And so we, we trick ourselves thinking, I just got to work harder. It'll finally, it'll finally happen at some point if I just work harder. No, you're just running the current machine as fast as it possibly can go until you build something a little different. You're just going to be running in that hamster wheel and burning yourself out. And that is a perfect end to our conversation. It ties back beautifully to where we started. So Brett, I just want to thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I greatly enjoyed our discussion and I'm really excited to share this episode with our members. Well, thank you for having me. Would you be okay if I offer a resource that would help them with those stages we talked about? Sure. There's a, there's a way, a quick way to get access to a graphic about those stages of business growth that I shared. And, and there's a little video series that goes with it. It's free and they do have to opt in to get it, but they just text the word elite. So E-L-I-T-E to 480-900-1505. So 480-900-1505. If you text the word elite to that, you'll get a free visual a, a infographic about those stages of small business growth and the things that get we get hung up on at each of those stages along with a little helpful video series that i think they'll find useful excellent thank you for listening to this episode of contracting conversations from bscai if you liked what you heard and want to find out more or listen to previous episodes head over to bscai.org podcast there, you can also subscribe to our newsletter so you never miss industry news, updates, and great tips. Subscribe to Contracting Conversations on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And learn more about our community on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube.